You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Each week, I and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, who alternates in this chair with me, um, bring you the information that doctors are talking about in doctor's lounges all across the country. Doctors are talking about issues that are important to each and every one of you, and we try to inform you about what you need to know regarding health care so that you can advocate for the health and well-being for yourself and for your family. The uh, show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led health care think tank in the country. It is um, supported by the efforts of each and every one of you, and I certainly hope that you enjoy the show and you will um, support our efforts by contributing generously so that we can continue to do the work that we're doing. And hopefully today's show will um, give you a snapshot of what we're doing and why it's so important for each and every person who um, listens to this show live or downloads the podcast to go to our website at www.d, the number four PC, Foundation, that's d4pcfoundation.org, and help to um, let help us help you. That's all I can say. And uh, we are really trying to do the best that we can to um, fight for the health care freedom for all Americans and stand up for the doctor patient relationship, which is a perfect segue into introducing my guest today who's been on this show many times um, not for quite some time I'm, I'm sorry to say and who is the president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation and also the uh, leading voice in this country for um, the topic that we talk about on this show quite frequently which is direct primary care Lee Gross is the um, the uh, founder of Epiphany Health, um, which is in uh, in down in Florida, and um, he has led the charge nationally to uh, open people's eyes to the benefits of direct primary care, and it has grown from just a couple of doctors who have been doing this in the country to um, well over a 1,000 doctors now who um, devote their practice entirely to direct primary care. So I'll stop talking and let uh, um, Dr. Lee Gross um, give everybody an update on direct primary care, on Epiphany Health, and on the efforts that he, on behalf of Docs for Patient Care and the patients in this country, have led the way and uh, and uh, uh, done uh, just just yeoman's work on. So, Lee, welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. Thank you, Hal. It's an absolute pleasure to talk again. And uh, although we may not talk on the radio, I certainly uh, enjoy catching up with you off the radio as well. So, uh, always a pleasure to to hear your voice and to. Uh, 
share with the world what it is that uh, that we're trying to accomplish here uh, to try to restore and maintain health care freedom for all Americans. You know, the the practice of medicine really is sort of, uh, continues to be under attack, uh, under attack by control from third parties, under attack by, for control uh, of, you know, by, by corporate interests, uh, physicians across the nation are being burned out by the the crazy mousetraps and regulatory burden that, that is just uh, so pervasive in, in American healthcare that is, is breaking the backs of, of the healthcare delivery system. So, you know, it's, it, despite everything you see changing, direct primary care continues to be the beacon uh, of, of hope for what is possible in healthcare. You know, we looked at what happened during the, the course of the pandemic, uh, and you have one of the worst healthcare crises uh, the world has seen in a century. And what happens? You're putting you put physicians out of business. Practices are becoming insolvent. Uh, they're laying off healthcare workers because of the crazy uh, regulatory over over uh, burdensome uh, practices that that are killing private private practice. So what happened was we went through this pandemic, and this is how long it's been since we talked. You know, we went through this pandemic, and more than half of the primary care practices in the country uh, were nearly insolvent. They, they had to lay off employees because when you stop people from coming into a, an office setting and the, the practice model is built on seeing people in person and there's no mechanism for third parties to pay for, for technology visits or anything outside of the standard office-based visit, uh, you have cut off the entire revenue uh, stream for all these practices. And so that happened almost instantly uh, when this pandemic hit. And the direct primary care practices instantly called an audible and within moments could switch their their physical practice into an online practice we did parking lot visits we returned to do house calls to help protect the elderly and vulnerable and we never saw a drop in our in our revenue we certainly had fears that there would be a drop in the revenue as our as our uh, patients were losing their jobs. We figured that, that that they would, you know, cancel their memberships with us, uh, and we really were sort of bracing for the worst. And 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 you know, our phones went dead. Uh, but suddenly, we we went into a massive growth mode. Uh, we had patients calling us from all over the place saying, "I lost my job, and I lost my insurance because I lost my job, and I need to, I, I need access to my medications, and uh, my doctor's office is closed, and they can't get me in, I can't see me, and, and you know, what am I supposed to do?" And we just picked up the slack and and ran with it, and so we, you know, we came up the other. And this was just not us in, in Epiphany Health, but this was across the country where the direct primary care practices were leading the charge in how to. Uh, how a practice can be nimble and respond to the needs of their individual community and the needs of their individual patients. It took months for the federal government and insurance companies to respond to create billing codes. So then Medicare reacted and they they said, okay, we're going to go ahead and pay. They, they were trying to basically shore up the primary care practices and they said, we're going to pay primary care doctors same amount for a technology visit or a phone call as we would for an in-person visit. So they're going to pay, you know, $150, $180 for basically a, a Zoom call or a FaceTime. Well, when you look at that now, after the fact, I mean, so now they're going to make that permanent, of course. So what Medicare pays for one single off or technology visit, 
I can provide three months of unlimited technology visits, unlimited office visits, unlimited procedures. Uh, and so, you know, the it only continues to to highlight and feature how much better the direct primary care model is uh, rather than the antiquated fee for service third party third party practice. So, you know, as we're seeing that this is clearly, you know, you know, it originally sort of people laughed at us and said, you know, what you're doing is not possible, you can't sustain it. Uh, you know, we're at this ten years now and not only are we are we proving that we're you know, we're not a joke, uh, we're proving that we have staying power and then we're actually proving that if we've built a better mousetrap. Uh, and so the question then becomes how do you how do you reinforce this? How do you support it? Uh, how do you to create an environment in which these practices can continue to grow and thrive? And that's kind of the work that we've been doing really over the, the course of the past year. So just to um, bring people up to date or new listeners who may not understand what direct primary care is, just take a couple of minutes and explain how Epiphany Health started and what direct primary care is and um, and how it differs from traditional models of healthcare delivery. Sure, thanks. Yeah, so Epiphany Health, obviously a very strange name for a primary care practice, but in fact we had a we had an epiphany about 10 years ago. And the epiphany really came from a, a small business owner uh, we had we had a fully insured practice, traditional fee for service. We we had thousands of patients. We were on the treadmill, uh, running as fast as we could. I guess more like the hamster wheel, uh, because we weren't actually getting anywhere. We were just running around, creating a lot of noise, uh, and trying to find as many ways to do as many things to as many people as possible to to extract money from from the patient's insurance companies. Essentially, the patient was an ATM, and, and our electronic health records were cash registers, and we were just trying to, to make that system work because, you know, the way the system was designed. And a small business owner came up to us and said, hey, Doc, my insurance premiums are skyrocketing, um, and all my employees see you as their doctor. I see what I pay Blue Cross, and I see what Blue Cross pays you when, when they see you or when I see you, and it's nothing. Why am I paying so much money when you're doing all the work? Why don't I just hire you directly? Uh, and we can just take out a catastrophic policy on the employees, and, and uh, that way you'll do better, we'll do better, and, 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 and we can cut out some of the middlemen. And that was sort of our epiphany moment was why are we insuring primary care? Why are we inserting so many barriers and obstacles between the doctor and patient? Every time you get a hand in the middle of that relationship, that hand wants to be paid and that hand wants to make decisions on behalf of the doctor and the patient. So we've stripped all of that out. We canceled our insurance contracts, we opted out of Medicare, and we signed contracts directly with our patients and directly with small employers uh, in the region. We did so on a subscription basis, kind of like Netflix, uh, where it's a flat monthly fee. And everything that we can do in our office is included at that flat monthly fee. So uh, unlimited procedures, unlimited office visits, technology visits, uh, in-office testing uh, can all be done for that flat monthly fee. And for our office at the moment, that flat fee is $75 for an adult, $30 for one child, and $15 for each additional child. Uh, after that, we don't charge anything for any services, so there's no copays or deductibles. Uh, and again, we've been doing this for 10 years. And so what we quickly found is that we were attracting uninsured patients from all over the state of Florida. Uh, and we realized that we needed to find a way to do stuff outside of our office. We needed access to affordable labs. We needed access to affordable imaging services, affordable physical therapy. 
And so we reached out to mom and pop uh, and independent practices around the region and contract, or not contracted, but we negotiated transparent cash prices for CAT scans and MRIs and blood work, uh, stress tests and echocardiograms. And it turned out our prices were the cheapest in the country. Uh, and so we're at this 10 years and we have not seen any inflation in the costs of, of our healthcare services in the last 10 years. So what we paid for a CAT scan 10 years ago is what we're paying for a CAT scan now. What we pay for blood work hasn't changed. What we were paying for our stress tests hasn't changed. Uh, the only thing that's really changed is the cost of the services in our office because you know our supply costs go up, so we've sort of, sort of transferred that. But that's about 2% year over year uh, on average over the last 10 years, so it's almost no inflation whatsoever, as opposed to traditional insurance that goes up 15 to 20% per year. That's that's just unbelievable. And you've pushed the envelope, Lee. You've actually um, gone beyond your office by working with your local hospital, DeSoto Memorial Hospital, and and uh, changed how that works as well. Why don't you describe that? Sure. So, so about an hour from my main office is a 49-bed rural hospital uh, in Florida here, DeSoto Memorial Hospital. And I had... They had found out about me because I had testified for the Florida governor uh, for their, their health care commission, and they heard what we were doing, and they said, hey, you know, you've heard about this surgery center of Oklahoma that does cash-priced surgeries, bundled surgeries. They said, we'd love to do that for your patients here. Uh, and so we started to work with them probably about four or five years ago where we created cash bundles for inpatient and outpatient surgical procedures. So, in fact, we have the first hospital in the country uh, that has transparent cash prices so you can get a hip replacement for eighteen thousand five hundred dollars you can get knee replacement for twenty thousand dollars you can get a hernia repair for thirty five hundred dollars you can get knee arthroscopy colonoscopy is twelve hundred dollars which includes the pathology so you talk about you know all these people in washington that are fighting to fix these surprise medical bills uh and you know the colonoscopy is a perfect example of one of the more common surprise medical bills you go in for a screening colonoscopy you think it's free because your insurance says it's screening, so it's got to be free, but then they find polyps, and now it's no longer a screening test, it's a diagnostic test, and you get a surprise three to $5,000 pathology bill in the mail. Uh, that does not happen with our with our practice. It does not happen with our relationship with DeSoto Hospital because the pathology is bundled in. The price doesn't change depending on what they find. It doesn't change whether you have a history of polyps or not. Uh, the price is the price is the price. And so... Uh, that is something that's drawing uh, patients to this little rural hospital uh, from all over Florida. Medical so tourism that will drive medical tourism. We have we have regional medical tourism. It's happening here. The the price to do a knee replacement in DeSoto Memorial Hospital is cheaper than flying to Singapore uh, and having medical tourism in Singapore. Our prices beat those, and we're and you don't have to leave the country. This is a four star CMS hospital. I mean, this is this hospital has outstanding outcomes. So after a couple of years of doing that, and, and, and you know, you could you change the perception of the hospital in the community. When the, when the community is used to seeing people leave the, the community for care, uh, you know, they, they look at the hospital and say, okay, well, that's not a place I want to go to get my medical care. I'm going to go somewhere else. When they see people from all over the region, all over the state coming in there to have procedures done, it makes you question, what is this hospital doing, and why are people driving two or three hours to have a colonoscopy here? Why are they coming to have hip replacements here? Um, it also changes the perception of the hospital or uh, in the eyes of the staff and the employees that work there. And so we had an opportunity to sit down with the hospital and completely restructure their employee health plan. 
uh, working with a brilliant fellow by the name of, doc, uh, uh, not doctor, but he, he may as well be, uh, he's not our doctor, Carl Schusler, uh, <laughs> is a uh, health plan advisor out of Atlanta in your neck of the woods. Uh, and Carl helped us rebuild the health plan, and we rebuilt it around a direct primary care platform. So if the employees signed up for the direct primary care membership, the hospital would pay for it for them. And then the, the plan was structured in such a way that if the employees had anything whatsoever done within that hospital, it was no cost to the employees. So they waived all copays and all deductibles. If they had surgery, if they had blood work, if they had imaging, as long as it was done in the hospital, there was no cost to the employee. That's so an incredible benefit for the for the employees in that hospital. It's worth thousands of dollars. It was. It, it, it's it's one of the most robust employee benefits plans probably in the country. Um, again, we, what we didn't do is we didn't raise deductibles. We didn't raise bear. We didn't try to reduce costs by by limiting access. We reduced costs by removing inefficiencies and improving access. So there were no financial barriers whatsoever for employees to come get primary care because it was free to them. It didn't cost them a penny to come see us, and they could go and get services done in the hospital. You- so in the first year of our involvement with the hospital and working with Carl Schusler, uh, we saved that health plan $1.2 million, which was a 54% reduction in that, that hospital's employee health plan spend. We did better in year number two than year number one, so we did better than 54%. Uh, the employees' out-of-pocket spending was dropped 30%, and we reduced the employees' premiums 20% in the very first year. And in the second year, there was no increase in employee premiums. So, Lee- so we had no inflation. In fact... Uh, the hospital that that has a stop loss insurance because the hospital self funded. Uh, the hospital stop loss carrier actually reduced their premiums in year number two because the claims history was so spectacularly low. So Lee, you, you, you know this this incredibly successful um, uh, plan that has that that you were instrumental in launching must must um, be the model for all hospitals around the country. They must be flocking to to. Uh, to West Florida to, to learn about this, aren't they? Well, we were in the process of putting together a rural health care summit before the pandemic hit, so that was certainly something that Health and Human Services was, look, was, was looking at. We were speaking with some people to put that in the works. Uh, obviously, it never happened. We, are, we have uh, hosted um, conferences with the Florida Rural Health Association. They've, they've expressed interest. I do believe that this is a model of care for all rural health care, you know, because we've lost over 100 rural hospitals around the country in the last 10 years since Obamacare passed because of the overburdensome regulation on these hospitals. And this hospital, DeSoto Memorial Hospital, since we changed this around for the last two years, this hospital's had their best financial years in their history. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. So just just to um, wrap this this portion of our conversation up, when you started Epiphany Health, 10 years ago, how many um, doctors, how many primary care doctors were delivering direct primary care? I would say there were probably about a dozen of us all in our own little silos all around the country. Nobody really knew about each other. And now? Uh, Probably approaching 2,000, and and I think we're probably adding, you know, a practice a day at this point. So I, I think that it's safe to say that direct primary care, other than the hospital employment of doctors is the fastest growing health care delivery model in the country. I think that's a, a fair assessment, yeah. That's and that's, the, and, and that's in a massive headwind. You know, you're talking about, about you know, growth through, 
through the same time when people were being penalized if they didn't buy a health insurance product that required these people to see in-network physicians. And so you're, you're, you're expanding a model that's opted out of all the traditional payment when people are being forced into models of traditional payments. Uh, and so despite that very brisk headwind, people are still signing up for this because, you know, they're, they're looking at these insurance plans and they're getting these insurance cards that have $8,000 deductibles. Uh, and they're paying a thousand dollars a month for an eight thousand dollars deductible. These people with eight thousand dollars deductibles, they're effectively uninsured. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you have to to pay out of pocket the equivalent of a of a um, of a 20? car, yeah. every time you know every year before your insurance kicks in, you're uninsured. Yeah. And so these people, you know, they're they're smart. They have, they they look at the finances and they said this doesn't make any financial sense for us to have this insurance. They see the direct primary care practice and they're like. That's cheaper than my cell phone. You know, that's really all I need. Um, and then so they said, well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and sign up for this, and then what do I do for, for what ifs? Because I don't want to be uninsured. I want to have something uh, in case I get cancer, what right. happens if I end up in the emergency room or the hospital. And so that was where we started doing our work with, with the folks up in Washington, D.C., in the White House to create alternative options of coverage that um, really are just sort of more of a safety net than they are uh, completely managing the day-to-day function of the, the primary care practice. Mm. You know, I, so we, they effectively act more like your homeowner's insurance and your car insurance, as opposed to you know micromanaging every single interaction you have with your doctor. So uh, we're going to have a hard stop in, in about nine minutes because of your office uh, schedule, unless your first patient shows up late. So I want to cover just a couple of things, and we can talk for hours. We often do, and, and unfortunately, uh, we'll have to wrap this up with just a couple of quick points. But, you know, the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, as an organization, you as a leader, really have led the way in, um, in defining the, the uh, um, terms of, of discussion um, in healthcare um, and, and really um, forcing the powers that be to look at some of these issues, whether it's in direct primary care or it's the work that we've done um, with certificate of need. Um, and, and you've really um, done uh, yeoman's work. I want to point out a couple of things and just give you a few minutes to talk about each. But you um, were recently... Um, invited to speak about health care um, on a panel at CPAC, which is, you know, just really uh, an unbelievable honor. And um, you also um, authored, along with one of our good friends and, and colleagues, um, uh, uh, we, uh, Chad Savage, and you um, authored a piece that uh, appeared um, on the uh, on, on direct primary care update and a roadmap for patient center reforms on the Heritage Foundation um, site, and uh, that's getting um, a lot of positive reviews. So why don't you um, take the next few minutes and and run with both of those? Sure. Yeah, it was it was quite an honor to be invited to to be one of the featured panels at, at CPAC. <clears throat> um, and sort of backstory on how that happened, um, as you uh, recall, Jim Parker was the director of the Office of Healthcare Reform for the Department of Health and Human Services under President Trump, 
and he was one of the speakers at our nuts and bolts direct primary care conference uh, several years several years back and and Jim has been following the work of direct primary care over the past several years since that since that conference and so CPAC reached out to Jim to Jim since he was in charge of healthcare reform and they said hey we're putting on the only healthcare panel at CPAC um, who do you think, or what do you think, is doing the most innovation in in healthcare here in the country today that we can feature on there? And they said, he said, hands down, direct primary care. <laughs> uh, and so they contacted me, invited me be, to be on the panel. And you know, there were three days worth of panels at CPAC, uh, and all to the you know to the crescendo of of their sort of finale where they had uh, President Trump on there, but. They featured this healthcare panel on the last day in the last two hours of this when we had a full captive room that had been through uh, security and and so there were thousands of people uh, present to hear the message of how we are innovating to uh, restore uh, patient freedom and patient choice in in healthcare and we received a standing ovation so it was a very well received panel. Uh, lots of compliments uh, uh, coming in from from friends across the country, uh, and we're already hearing from people around the around the nation uh, that want more information about the direct primary care. Uh, but also at the same time, as I had mentioned, we're trying to work on the policy side of this thing because there are still very strong headwinds against. Uh, this very disruptive healthcare model, which there are a lot of uh, stakeholders entrenched in in the old way. There's a lot of money in the old way, and so people don't want to see that change. And so we have been working for a decade at changing laws, changing regulations to to allow this to expand. And we had been doing so quietly. We are no longer in the shadows. We are out in the open. Uh, and so now we need to sort of pick up what we've done and run with it as far and as fast as we can which is why we appreciate the Heritage Foundation and using their large sledgehammer uh, to sort of bust open some doors for us to get uh, the message out to some people, to, to more and more people using their, their megaphone. So they contacted us and wanted us to do an update of the white paper, a policy paper. Uh, and Chad and I spent, Dr. Chad Savage and I of Brighton, Michigan, uh, also a direct primary care practitioner. Um, we wrote a 20-some page uh, document that outlines all of the legislative and regulatory things that can happen at the federal and state levels, uh, giving guidance, uh, laws that could be passed, uh, rules that could be changed, uh, and just general ideas. Uh, it took us almost a year to put this together and to get it through and, and through the policy folks at Heritage, and we greatly appreciate their support. Uh, but this was just released about three or four weeks ago, so we are very excited about what it is. It's the first time Heritage has updated, updated their, uh, their uh, information about direct primary care in about nine years. It's a very scholarly um, uh, white paper, um, very well referenced. I, I think that there's um, an opportunity to use this in um, in the mainstream medical journals, Lee. I think that uh, this this could uh, easily be you know a special piece in JAMA or in the New England Journal of Medicine. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this is this is the um, most comprehensive piece on on you know pr- direct primary care health policy, you know there's just not a very strong body of literature out there in support of this. You know I think that was one of the thing one of the uh, sort of post mortem feedback I got from the folks at the White House uh, was that you know it's it was difficult for them to advance some of these policy things since we just don't have a lot of scholarly 
scholarly research out there to support it. We have lots of claims, we have lots of op-eds and YouTube videos, uh, but not a lot of data. And you know what we've done is we've taken the skeleton of it and we've put just all the meat on the bones uh, of that. And, and again, we'll continue to build a body of scientific evidence and, and data collection uh, around the practice model. Uh, so again, we're excited to start putting some of the first uh, first written data about our DeSoto experience. We'll be exploring further on that, but uh, we're getting nice feedback again on the heritage heritage piece, and, and there's some really uh, some easy recommendations to implement in there, and then there's some 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 extremely difficult things to implement, but sort of pie in the pie in the sky type stuff. So, what what are the three easy things that can be implemented that um, we as as an organization and and the physicians in the around the country who listen to this show and to the patients who um, who are affected, what are the three things that people should be fighting for, demanding? What's the low hanging fruit? Well, I, I shouldn't say easy because easy is relative, um, <laughs> right? There's so you know. One of the things that we worked on with the Trump administration is expanding access to major medical to major medical plans, uh, because Obamacare made those illegal unless you're under the age of 30. So if you're over the age of 30, you have to have a, an all bells and whistles health plan that that manages everything. Uh, so w- what we did working with his team is we expanded major medical, uh, but in the form of short-term limited duration insurance. Uh, and we expanded those to to be able to use them for up to three years. They had been three limited to three months. These are surely just just you know what happens if I get a you know if I get in a major car accident um, type stuff. And there are several states around the country that just despise these things. They call them junk insurance, and I call them true insurance. You know, it's a hedge against a catastrophic loss, as, as it should be. Um, but these states are trying to to ban them, uh, and the Biden administration is trying to restrict access to them again. So, you know, people can just be vocal about that. I mean, it, it's it already is regulation, and so they, you know, the status quo is is you have access to them, uh, and so people should demand from their states that they have access to these things. But this is sort of a red state blue state thing. Um, but people really should should be able to demand access to these affordable these affordable op- options. There are a few states in the country that still block physicians from dispensing wholesale medications directly to patients. That's a sort of a territorial issue between ho- doctors and pharmacies. Um, but you know, if a physician is 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 capable of prescribing these medications to patients, then they certainly can be qualified to dispense them to patients, uh, and yet states still still block that, and that's some of the work that we're doing. Uh, some some great direct primary care docs down in Florida um, are leading the charge on a lawsuit against the state of Texas uh, for the ability to dispense medications, and uh, we're in the process of working on an amicus brief in the, in the uh, appellate court system on that case there, uh, so that's some of the stuff that we're working on. Uh, the state of Maine has already passed legislation. Uh, that that um, requires insurance companies to honor out of or referrals from out of network doctors to in network doctors. So if a direct primary care practice is is opted out of, say, Blue Cross, for example, and a patient that sees that direct primary care doctor has Blue Cross, and the doctor wants to refer him to say a cardiologist that's in network, the patient should be able to use their insurance to pay for that in network specialist, even if the referral came from an out of network doctor. 
Uh, and so Maine passed that. They were, and you know, that's model legislation that really can be sort of brought out throughout the country. But uh, there are lots of other, other you know, more complicated things I think that can be done. But most of them involve uh, the tax issues, which we've been fighting for for years. Uh, we, we we covered a lot of ground with the Treasury Department and the Internal Revenue Service, but we did not punch that ball across the goal line. We sort of got blocked at the at, you know after going 99 yards, we're we're at the one yard line. But I still think we have the ability to sort of punch that across the goal line. We're not done yet. Uh, there are people within the Biden administration that that do like this policy, and so uh, we'll continue to work with them and see if we can't uh, get this this ball across the line. That would be great. You know, Lee, we're at, at, at the end of the first half hour, and it's a hard break. I don't know where you are in your office. If you are done for the show today, or you can stay with us, you, it's it's your your call. Yeah, it looks like uh, looks like I'm going to have to run, but I appreciate okay. all the uh, the time and the effort, and uh, uh, we'll explore this a little bit further. But you can look at that uh, article on the Heritage Foundation uh, Heritage Foundation website under their healthcare policy. Uh, and there's a, an accompanying op-ed that we wrote along with it in the Daily Signal uh, that talks about how the drug primary care practices fared during the pandemic. So that's from myself and Dr. Chad Savage. And I'll, I'll talk more about it in the second half. Lee, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. We need to have you on more often. And um, continue your excellent work. Everybody um, appreciates what you're doing for the patients in this country and our health care system. Thanks, Hal, for all you do, and we'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks for being with us. We're at a hard break. We'll we'll be back in just a moment, so stay with us in the Doctor's Lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. We had a great conversation in the first half of this show with Dr. Lee Gross, who is a dear friend and uh, and always, always a pleasure uh, to have on the show. Nobody does a better job of explaining direct primary care and uh, the promise of that healthcare delivery model than, uh, than Dr. Gross. And he's really uh, been a mentor to me in this healthcare model and taught me how to appreciate it, how to talk about it, and how to, um, and, uh, how to advocate for it. Because it really is the, um, the, I think, the path to the future. You know, there were very few people who were going into um, primary care in, um, in, out of medical school over the past decade. Most of the um, doctors who were being trained um, opted for more lucrative specialties, um, uh, surgical specialties or dermatology specialties where their income would at least be secure because direct primary care doctors were reimbursed at the lowest end of the um, physician spectrum. In fact, there are um, there are physician extenders. Um, um, there are nurse practitioners or PAs who make more money than many primary care doctors do. Um, there are um, anesthesia physician assistants or um, or uh, um, pump techs, people who who do who run the the who are perfusionists who run the machines for heart bypass surgery. These people make more money than a fully trained primary care doctor in a traditional health care model where they're being paid on a um, on a, a fee based on what the insurance companies are willing to pay them. Direct primary care has changed that because there is a predictable income stream that doctors can can count on with just a, a, a third of the number of patients in their practice that they would have to see in a, uh, in a, in a practice where they're churning through patients in an insurance-based model. Most of the primary care doctors manage between two and 3,000 patients, and those are the examples of the patients who are coming into their doctor getting rushed through seven minute visits not really um, able to have a dialogue with their doctor the patients have an unsatisfactory experience the care is really not as as um, as comprehensive as it could be if the doctor was able to spend more time with the patients and learn more about what their problems are. In a direct primary care model, the number of patients that doctors are managing has decreased 
by about a third. The average practices manage between seven, eight hundred patients, maybe a thousand patients. That means that if a patient calls into their doctor and needs to be seen, they can be seen that same day or certainly the next day. And they can spend way more time with their patients and learn about what their problems are, manage their medications better. So this is a, a really a lifeline to the doctors in training who are um, who who want to go into direct primary or who want to go into primary care, but who would. Um, be put off because financially they couldn't pay off their student loans. They couldn't. They couldn't keep an office open. Um, this gives them the opportunity to do so because it's a predictable income stream. It's better for the patients. It's better for the doctors who are practicing in this model. We hear a lot today about physician burnout because of all of the bureaucracy and all of the regulatory um, uh, nonsense that physicians have to put up with in in a a traditional insurance-based practice, that all disappears with direct primary care where doctors can decide how they want to practice because they're not beholden to insurance companies or the government. They are beholden to their patients. So... It's a tremendous model. Um, Dr. Lee Gross is very modest about his role in helping to promote this um, healthcare delivery model, but I would I would say that Lee and maybe two or three primary care doctors have led the way and have made the powers that be recognize. This healthcare delivery model, they've in in the in the uh, political arena, in the insurance arena, in the hospital world, and in the business world. So, Dr. Gross, as the president of the Doctor Patient Care Foundation, really has created this agenda for our organization to um, to thrive and and use this as a lever to um, to help influence this this debate to really push the agenda so that the the uh, powers in healthcare have to pay attention and I'm going to use this as a commercial opportunity for each and every person who listens to this show, who downloads podcasts, who has any kind of hope to preserve and improve healthcare in this country, to go to the Docs for Patient Care website and read about this, go to the Heritage site on healthcare and look at healthcare policy and find the white paper that Dr. Gross and Dr. Savage, who's also been a, a guest on this show several times, the piece that they have put together that they co-authored their white paper explaining how 
this model is really the answer for healthcare in this country. And if you are at all interested in being able to control your healthcare decision making, excuse me, <coughs> nagging allergy cough. If you are at all interested in having the opportunity to select your own doctors, to decide what hospital you can get treated in, to determine whether or not a procedure that you think you need is something that will be able to happen, if any of those are important to you, you need to support the Docs for Patient Care Foundation because there's no other organization out there that is advocating for you as the patients or for physicians as the group of healthcare deliverers that are going to be there to be able to provide that care for you. This is coming in an environment where, once again, the AMA, which I never thought could sink any lower than they did in 2008 when they supported Obamacare and they threw the entire physician community under the bus. I never thought that they could sink any lower than that. But, you know, the AMA never disappoints. And they have. They have sunk lower than that in their support for critical race theory and their advocation of uh, selective health care delivery for certain groups of people in this country. This is racist. It is against the law. It can't stand up. And you need to understand that there is no medical organization out there that is looking out for the well-being of patients who are fighting for health care rights for patients other than the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Now, there are other groups of doctors out there. I don't want you to think that, that we have a, 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 a stranglehold on the fight. There are a lot of doctors who have um, put their careers at risk fighting for patients and doing good things. But as we say every week on this show, the Docs for Patient Care is the only physician-led healthcare think tank. By healthcare think tank, we have created over the past 12 years relationships with people who are instrumental decision makers in healthcare policy. Now, they may not always agree with the things that we are advocating for, but they are at least listening, and we have a seat at the table. And they are taking heed of things that we are um, bringing to their attention. And right now, we may not 
have the ability to be able to make the same kinds of gains that we did as happened in the last administration. And that has to do with ideology because the Biden administration is um, it is overrun with people who believe that the government has better ideas about health care and the delivery of health care and what you should be getting than you do as a patient or as your doctor does as your advocate. So it may not be you people may be listening to the things that we talk about and saying, well what good is it? What you know, are we just spinning our wheels because the people who are in power right now are going to um, uh, they're, they're going to turn a deaf ear to any of the ideas, any of the any of the uh, uh, claims that that people like Dr. Gross and like myself and others make. Well, the truth of the matter is that the people who are not in power right now will be again. And the work that we do today will pay incredible dividends down the road. So you can't stop fighting. You can't stop advocating. You have to continue to push this narrative to show that our ideas are better than their ideas. Because at some point in the future, hopefully very soon, people that are listening to us are going to be in a position to put in to into practice the ideas that we are sharing with them in order for that to happen we need to be viable and so you need to really pay attention to what i'm saying right now because we need your help we need you to go to the Docs for Patient Care Foundation website, give a $10 a month donation, a $25 a month donation, a single donation, $500. <coughs> this is important so that we can continue to put white papers like this out, to do the things that are necessary, to put on conferences so that we can show that these ideas are the right ideas, like Dr. Gross was talking about with the DeSoto Hospital um, plan to lower the cost of health care for patients in the hospital or for the employees of the hospital. If this catches on and this occurs all throughout the country, imagine the opportunities that you will have as patients to use money that right now is being thrown away in the garbage that's being used to fund insurance companies that don't care about you, you'll be able to use those dollars for your family, for your to buy a car, to make house payments, to do things, take a vacation, instead of throwing it away and giving it to insurance companies 
where or hospitals that are charging far more for the care that they're delivering than needs to be the case. You know, the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is leading the way in this country on on a number of fronts. Excuse me again. One of the things that we're right now doing is we are <clears throat> having a um, uh, once again where where the group that that comes to mind when there are efforts around the country in different states to fight the certificate of need laws around the country. You know, just just um, to we haven't talked about certificate of need in a long time, but certificate of need is when um, you have you have to go to the state in order to get their permission to open up certain healthcare enterprises, which are regulated by state. Um, uh, rules and regulations. So, for example, Georgia is a certificate of need state. If I wanted to open up a hospital like the Soto Hospital um, in in uh, Florida um, with a group of doctors who wanted to deliver health care at at um, rates which were transparent to the public so that we can compete against the 800-pound gorillas in the state of Georgia, we would have to apply for a certificate of need, and the very hospitals that we want to compete against would be able to stop that process in its tracks by by filing a... Um, in a, a written um, uh, uh, report basically um, saying that there was no need for another hospital and uh, that it was it was superfluous and it was hurting their business and their ability to deliver health care to at-risk populations. And so the state would not allow me and my colleagues to open up that hospital that would be transparent and would reduce health care costs by 50-60%. Those laws are, are harmful to patients. It has actually resulted in deaths of patients because certain states have certificate of need laws that restrict certain services like ambulance services so there are some communities that can't even open up an ambulance service around the country without going to the state and getting permission that has cost people their lives and this is anti-competitive it is anti-american and it should be abolished across the country and unfortunately well over 30 states still have certificate of need laws on the books. So every year when state legislatures are convened, there are efforts in a number of states 
to try to overturn those states' certificate of need laws. Now, we've done a tremendous amount of work at Docs for Patient Care with certificate of need and developing relationships with many of the groups that are working um, pro bono for patients in these efforts to do certificate of need um, uh, uh, work to try to overturn these laws. And so when these efforts uh, arise, we get contacted to um, get involved in the state of Alaska, in in uh, Iowa. Um, just now there's another effort being launched in Kentucky, and I was contacted just the other day to assist in that and to help um, uh, write a uh, an, uh, an amicus brief um, to uh, to support the um, efforts to overturn certificate of need. This is what we do at Docs for Patient Care. It's not just doing this show every week. It's what is happening behind the scenes. And these are efforts that that resonate, that have real-world implications in changing health care for Americans. And if you agree with what we're trying to do, if you have any hope of being in control of your health care, then you most definitely need to support the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. So I urge everybody to just take five minutes, go to our website, make a donation, one-time donation, a recurring donation, and, and this is this is something that that we really need to enlist the help of every single person out there. We get, I believe, it's about thirty thousand downloads of this of this uh, podcast. Between thirty and forty thousand po- downloads every month. If everybody who listened just gave ten dollars. That would make a huge difference. If you gave $10 a month, that would make an enormous difference. This could be a game changer for healthcare in this country because look look what the, the Democrat Party is trying to do. They are trying to implement expanded Medicare, Medicaid. This is part of this new $3.5 trillion Biden um, budget or Biden plan for infrastructure, human infrastructure. And if we don't push back, if we are not there, then you can pretty much, you know, rely on the government for your health care. And you know what that's going to mean to each and every one of you. So we had a good show today, and I hope that uh, you enjoyed Dr. Gross and his his uh, um, summary, his his update on dire- on direct primary care, and uh, I'll be back with you in two weeks. And uh, my 
My co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, will be here in the chair next week. So thank you for being with us. And come back into the Doctor's Lounge. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.